CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag leadership. Today's topic is developing and inspiring a shared vision. And our guest for today's show is Stephen Hess, who's the CIO with the University of Colorado Health. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Thank you so much. Great to have you. Now, this topic that we have picked up today, is, it starts with the very essence of what leadership is about, which is to create a vision and then get everyone to follow, or I would rather not say follow, join that vision so that it becomes a common vision across all people who are going to make that a reality. Now, it it, it is one thing to give it lip service, another is to make that happen. So we are here going to talk about how do you even come up with something which is compelling enough for other people to um, you know, take notice and then even join the bandwagon, and then how do you get everyone to be inspired enough that they will execute on it because you're taking them out of their comfort zone. So that said, uh, when you look at, Steve, the first... Um, you know, idea that may come to your mind that, okay, I'll, I'll paint vision. And this is based on my principles, my value system, and what my experience is, what's going to work. But that's not the same as the rest of the world. How do you make sure that the one that you create is actually going to be adoptable? Yeah, so, I mean, painting a vision is, is really a multifaceted effort. And, and it's a lot of times you're actually trying to paint the picture of what that future is. So you're doing your best to describe maybe the indescribable. So you're actually trying to paint that picture of what can be, what will look like in a year from now, 18 months from now, two years from now, and then actually talking about that to various teams and individuals in very different ways because not everybody's alike. Not everybody's going to just inherently see that vision. You really have to adapt your message, adapt that picture to your various audiences, and then make it real for them. And and so it takes time. It takes iterations. It, it might be that you actually have a, a, a painting the picture uh, discussion meeting with a team and then just let it kind of um, hang out there for a couple of days, couple of weeks or whatever, and then come back and say, remember that discussion we had? Let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. And so just sometimes the change management process doesn't work on your schedule and you need people to be able to digest things at different speeds. So it's really about painting that picture, showing teams and individuals their role in that picture, and then helping to create the structure and plan to at least get to the next level of detail and repeating and repeating and repeating. Eventually what's going to end up happening is people are going to be invested in that picture, that vision, that strategy with you. So you come to a new organization, or even if, if in a current organization you know we need to change direction, maybe because an M&A or any other directive that you may have. Now, you are tasked with it, and when you get this task, so you're sitting there thinking, okay, I need to come up with something which will really resonate with the rest of the world. But I would say that, yes, you have the, all the intelligence, and that's why you reached at this level, but perhaps it would be 
um, you know, uh, that could be a lot of vanity in someone to say, okay, I know what to do and I'm going to just go ahead and paint something. Where do you get your inspiration yourself? And secondly, where do you get the input? Because if you're just going to be sitting in ivory tower and paint a vision, perhaps that would be a shot in the dark. Yeah. So healthcare IT is actually a really interesting vertical to be in. The, so I, I'm obviously a CIO of a, of a health system, and I've chosen the healthcare industry very specifically. I, I you know, went to school for computer science. I probably could have gone into any vertical in an industry, but I've chosen healthcare because the things that we do are really making a difference in the lives of people. They're making a difference in the lives of, of individuals I know, of my own family, and so on. And most of the folks in healthcare IT are there for very similar reasons because there's something very tangible and real about what we're delivering in the healthcare world. So part of, part of the, the benefit of actually being in healthcare IT is that painting the picture becomes a little bit easier because you can actually internalize what we're doing because you could picture yourself as a patient someday. You could picture your, your loved one as a patient someday, and the things that we're doing will make the lives of those folks better. So, you know, I think it is a little bit different in the healthcare IT world. So that inspiration, it's actually in a lot of ways easy sometimes because you can sit there and say, okay, if I was a patient, how would I want to interact with my doctors, my nurses using healthcare IT? If you look at digital health tools and so on, you, it can become very personal and real very quickly. So that's, that's the good side of it. But then once you have that vision, you really have to sit down and say, okay, who are all the different stakeholders in, in this? So we're, we're here. We need to go there. There's going to be a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. Who are the stakeholders, including your, your, your CFO, your nurses, your doctors, your patients, your IT team, you know, maybe, maybe medical records or, or other groups? And you actually have to, again, get in front of those groups and actually paint the picture for them in ways that is meaningful to them. At the end of the day, the vision really doesn't mean anything until somebody can see how they fit into that vision and what their role is along that journey to get to that vision. So a lot of it's around stakeholder analysis and then making sure that you're out there in front of those folks, giving them a chance to see it, ask questions, and start to internalize it themselves. So great response to the question I asked. Question for you here, though, is when we talk about healthcare and you're so right about it, we can relate to it because it deals with human life, which is us as individuals. And perhaps your predecessors in this organization or any other organization where maybe it is healthcare, let's take that as an example, they may have tried to use the same foundational um, elements of something real, something closer to a human life, and let's make a difference. And such visions were painted in the past, but perhaps they did not uh, come to fruition, and then the people are gun-shy that, is this person going to take us through the same journey? How do you get over that stigma? Yeah, so again, I, I do think it's multiple multiple conversations. I think if you, as a leader, think that you're going to be able to sit in front of an audience of 100 people, 10 people, 200 people, whatever the, the stakeholder size is, and, and articulate a picture and then walk away and assume it's going to get executed, I think you're, that's flawed thinking. I think that it's multiple conversations. People will digest the information at different speeds. You have to tailor your message and the conversation to individual roles. When you sit in front of an audience of 100 people, there's 100 different personalities there. And maybe even, you know, let's say there's 60 different roles or titles within that audience. 
you need to start taking that conversation down to smaller groups and letting them have have their say or, or you know poke holes in it and so on. You know, ultimately, a, a new leader hasn't proven himself or herself yet. So part of it is actually creating that inspiration. But then, in my opinion, then you as a leader need to actually roll up your sleeves and help the teams get there. So if you just think that you're going to paint this vision and have the conversation once, walk away, and the team's just going to execute on it, especially as a new leader who doesn't have a proven track record, I think you're mistaken. I think you really are going to have to have the conversation multiple times with different stakeholders, allow them to voice concerns, allow them to see, again, and internalize what, they, what their role is in that. And then, again, roll up your sleeves and help them get to – maybe step one or two of the journey, at that point there's enough momentum and they can see where they're going to maybe actually then you know, go a little bit more hands-off. But um, again, a new leader really needs to be able to roll their, their sleeves up and help the team get to maybe a couple steps down the road. Uh, if you're a proven leader that's already done some of this in the past, maybe you have a little bit more you know, in the checking account of trust and, and you can actually you know, – push the team along um, along step one and they'll just they'll, they'll go with it but you know depending upon where you are in terms of trust experience uh, uh, you know the, the road record I think you'll your first couple steps will be a little bit different now a question for you do you think someone who comes in and says I'm going to take these people through this exercise and my find my way through so is painting a vision a planned activity or a planned set of conversations so it's like a playbook do you think Absolutely. you can create a playbook? Absolutely. I mean, I, again, so when I, you know, I, I came out to the University of Cairo Hospital five and a half years ago, and, you know, my, my directive was clear, integrate a lot of our best-of-breed solutions to a singular integrated electronic health record. And that was, um, you know, I, the, the, in general, the organization bought into the concept but there was still a lot of skepticism. There was still a lot of doubters, still a lot of concern about it. So I, I literally you know, sat down and said, okay, here are all the different stakeholders. Who are the opinion leaders? Who are the influential folks across the organization? And I spent my first you know, 30 to, to 90 days really sitting down with them. I had open forums with the large groups, but then also sat down with those key folks to really – bring them into the picture that I was trying to paint of how we were going to get there. And it's really important to think through that. And if you miss some key opinion leaders or you know, influence, influential folks, you're going to be, um, you're, you're not going to be successful as you would if you sat down and actually brought them into it. And, and not only, you know, paint the picture, but also get their input, get their input on the things that they think are going to go smoothly or are going to be rocky. And then you use that input to, you know, navigate the, the course. Being inclusive, does it undermine or strengthens the vision creation exercise? I think it actually strengthens, strengthens it. Now, here's the key. So we actually had some guiding principles um, in, in some of our, our large projects. And one of them was actually be inclusive, but go fast. So, and sometimes those are opposite. So sometimes people think if I, if I have to have all these meetings and I have to involve everybody, then I'm just going to slow things down. And therefore, they make decisions that just say, we're just going to make this decision and, and move forward. So the key is to make sure that you have your governance structures, you have these meetings, but also articulate the need for speed. Because if you don't do that, you're, you're going to find yourself that it's a, you know, 
paralysis analysis where you just constantly having meetings and not getting to decisions. So you're bringing lots of people in, they feel very included, but then you're not actually executing on the, on the plan. So really important to be inclusive, but also important to be fast. So striking that balance, in my opinion, is really, really important. When you share a vision, does that mean selling? I think so. And I think, again, it means selling to people in different ways. So, you know, as, as we're going forth with these, you know, again, these large IT integration projects, we paint the picture of what this means to, to the patient, You're putting the patient in the middle of their care, have, allowing them to have access to their medical record electronically from anywhere. So you paint that picture but, and, and you sell it from this is what it means to the, the, the patient. But then it's a very different conversation to the physicians. You paint the picture of the patient to the physicians, but then you also paint the picture of what it means to you, physician. So you're selling it to the physician. You're selling it to the nurses. You're selling it to the revenue cycle. You're selling it to the IT team. So really what you're doing, again, at a role level or potentially even an individual level, you're painting the picture, but then you're, you're selling it. And maybe selling the, you know, not exactly the right word, but you're painting the picture of what it could be to that individual so that you're getting them engaged. Now, the reality is across any team, you're going to have folks that are almost blindly, you know, engaged. They're, they're just, they're, they love working with the organization. They love where we're going. So you don't have to work hard at, quote, unquote, selling it to them. They're just, they're going to be on board very quickly. Then you're going to have on the opposite side folks that are just their nature is to resist and, and doubt and, and be a skeptic. So they're just looking at it from the perspective of um, this is going to be hard, more work for me, and we have to work longer hours. So they're just looking at it from the perspective of what's this mean to me, and it may not be good. And then there's this large bolus of, of folks in the middle that really do need to be communicated to more frequently, repeatedly, and actually actively brought into it to hopefully to you know, kind of convert them to the folks that are actively engaged in helping you move it forward effectively. Let's take a quick break. Let's We'll be right back. And uh, Steve, based on your comment of there would be some people who resist and then there would be others who would right away jump on board. The intuitive interpretation of that is anyone who's a naysayer is just resisting. And anyone who's ag agreeing is the one who's, who's a great worker who wants to move forward. Now, that's relative because there could very well be a possibility where somebody is saying, no, I don't, I don't buy this, that they are, they are being critical, but in a positive sense. And if somebody who is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, anything that you say, Steve, I'm going to jump on board, could also be complacency. How do you get or stay away from such traps? Because at the end of the day, you may have painted something, you may have come up with some vision, but it could definitely uh, benefit from third-party objective input and not everything which is uh, uh, seen in a negative light necessarily is being done so uh, to, to trash the vision. So please, let's uh, stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. 
Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, yes doesn't mean you were right as a leader who painted a vision by and if you get uh, you know adoption or acceptance and no doesn't mean that the rest of the world is not good or whosoever saying no is is anti progression how do you deal with that and stay objective in your exercise because this is your baby it's your vision and you painted it and somebody's coming and throwing darts at it what do you do yeah so you know as as we talked about kind of every team's come comprised of folks that are, you know, fully engaged almost blindly. Then there's folks that are, are kind of, you know, waiting to be sold. And then there's others who are going to be a little bit resistant. The, the reality is, is the magic is to find those folks who are devil's advocates, who are concerned about parts of the vision or the entire vision, but who are still constructive because you want to tap into them. You actually want to bring them in to understand what their concerns are and actually, you know, help, use them to help you overcome those barriers. So I, I personally feel that, that that group of folks who may – they're, they're not the yes people. They're not just immediately, yeah, I'm going to blindly follow you. But they're actually you – know, they need to be sold a little bit more. They need to have more conversation. They're, they're concerned about parts of your vision. They're the, actually the, the magical folks because you bring them in. They're constructive and you're actually tapping into them to figure out how to navigate through that. So, you know, in many ways, again, it, it takes identifying those folks, those stakeholders, and having those conversations. And sometimes those feelings, those thoughts from those constructive, dev, um, you know, devil's advocates aren't going to come out in group settings. They'll come out on one-on-one conversations. Finding them, engaging them, getting the gold out of their concerns, and then actually making your 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 journey to your destination that much better with them, nine times out of ten, you're actually going to bring them along, and, and they're going to be a willing, engaged partner in your strategy. Now, there are going to be people that are just never going to get on the bus, right? So you're going to have to make an ultimate decision that they, they, have, they have legitimate concerns, you've addressed those legitimate concerns, and now they have new concerns or they have other concerns or you know, the game keeps shifting. So at the end of the day, you are going to need some of those folks on the bus or not when you, when you leave the bus stop. So there are going to be often folks that just aren't going to be able to, to make it to that new world, and, and that becomes the tough conversations with them. But you know what? Those are usually the minority. Would you take this as a phase of a project where you say, OK, 
okay, I'm going to put a vision out. People will throw darts at it or yes or no or whatever feedback. And at some point, I got to move into the execution phase. Absolutely. How so do you, you think- manage so that it moves forward? Yeah. So you know, most projects have very defined stages. Sometimes those stages are, are you know, elongated based upon the scope and the complexity. But you know, many projects essentially starts out with a, a brainstorm, a vision, and then you know, you're starting to get in that assessment initiation. And you know, often, you know, months into this process, there's actually a formal kickoff where you're actually now executing on the project plan and implementing and, you know, shooting for your go live and so on. And any large project needs to be managed that way. So, you know, normally there's weeks or potentially even months leading up to that kickoff where you're doing all this. You're getting the people engaged. You're, you're getting the various um, folks that are, you know, just, again, blindly engaged versus need to be sold versus, you know, playing the devil's advocate. You're, you're doing that over weeks or months at a time. And often it's two or three conversations. And again, it's, it's, you're trying to be inclusive, but you're also trying to go fast. So a lot of this is frankly normal project management and the different phase of the project management where a lot of the early upwork is socialization of, you know, working through the cultures, working through the individuals, working through the people that are going to be in the project and help you execute. That's what positions a project for success. Often people just look at, you know, from kickoff to go live, that's the project. In many ways, the weeks, months leading up to that kickoff sets that project up for success. Now, with all all different activities that you go about doing there, and and you 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 converted, or rather, in your response here, you took almost vision creation as a project or an initiative. Now, do you think that vision is little larger than those bunch of initiatives or projects that you may kick in? Because that that vision is in a way yep. setting the tone, the culture of your organization, and that's far more. Uh, inclusive or, or would you say overarching than an individual initiative? Because that's, that's, that's a totally strategic, critical, and, and you, it has to be dealt beyond the way you would have otherwise dealt with a project. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So the, the concept that, that you're talking about is really, it's more that strategic vision. And then, then you have that project or program vision strategy that aligns with that. So again, often in the early stages of a project, you're talking about how that particular project or program attaches itself or is part of that overarching vision. So often the conversation around sharing your vision is about resharing the original strategy, the, the, the original vision. So I, I, often though, like when you're talking about that big strategic vision that not, doesn't necessarily have maybe a start and an end, you, you know, that's, that's sometimes harder to do because you're painting this vision without kind of real milestones or points in time kind of progress without getting that project work then. So it, it's easy to paint a picture of, okay, we're going to have integrated IT systems across University of Colorado Health. But until people actually see, okay, this is how I'm collapsing the electronic health records. Here's how I'm collapsing the back office systems. Here's how I'm collapsing email or other collaboration tools. Until they see that, they're not going to necessarily buy into that. They may say, yep, that's a great vision. That's motherhood apple pie. But until they actually see the individual work efforts that get you to that, that overarching vision, it, it doesn't necessarily become real for everybody. When you go about looking at credibility building 
and a leader who goes out and says, okay, this is my vision. This is like a catch-22, right? So if you have to build credibility, especially when you're coming into an organization, before you can say, I am going to be seen as a credible leader, you have to start that exercise of painting a vision and then putting it out there. But then when you try to paint a vision, you, you have no credibility. Then how do you make someone follow you? Is that just yeah. by the merit of what you painted? I, I mean, sometimes I think it is the inspiration of what you painted and, and your passion and your energy and so on. Um, but the reality is, is I, I think, in my opinion, credibility is earned by listening, including listening and adjusting based upon input. But then again, you know, in early up, I think in a new leader's role, they many times have to roll up their sleeves. They have to be part of the the work effort to you know start the journey against the vision because again if especially on your you know in my case on my IT team if the IT team just sees that oh there's you know there's Steve painting a vision and then you know he he's he's off doing whatever he does and and we're we're doing all the work they they the credibility is lost so I think for your stakeholders it's sitting down listening adjusting your plans or your thoughts or, or your actions based upon their feedback but then with your with your own team many of the folks that are actually going to be doing the work a lot of times it's actually getting in there rolling up your sleeves and helping at least early up setting up the project for success jumping in wherever you can and being part of that team when they see that their leader is not just about here's the vision and you know, good luck but here's the vision and I want to help you get there it adds a lot of credibility to to it and then frankly when you deliver obviously some of that credibility is is earned or re-earned how do you check on yourself to see that you do not get carried away or get comfortable with that once created credibility because one is to have a painted vision another is to follow through and third is to actually sustain that that momentum and that that those core values based on which you had created that vision because all of those things have the potential uh, or, or there's a risk of you uh, going, going in a, or deviating from the core direction that you had set. Yeah, I, I do think that part of it is good governance, good, good um, risk management, good escalation procedures, and so on. So again, the worst thing, and, and, and you know, I, I think there's all kinds of different leaders out there, and, and many ways of being a successful leader. What what I try to do though is make sure that we have the appropriate governance groups, steering committees status reports so that I can see where things are, are happening, where there's barriers that I can help out with and making myself extremely available for, for those projects for my team to be able to help them remove those barriers. So again, I think, you know, even though you may not be rolling up your sleeves from a technical perspective to execute on a project, being there for your team to remove barriers whether it's, you know, resources or time or, or money or, or whatever, and, and they see that you're actively engaged and when they need help, you're there to help. Those are the kinds of things that will continue to, to uh, earn that credibility uh, even after, you know, the vision's painted and, and you're starting to execute. Now, can we, we can talk about the credibility, and that's what we did just now. Would you think the type of visions which will actually move hearts and move minds and get everybody together. Are they supposed to, by design, having that altruistic, noble purposes, which have some automatic, of course, you know, there has to be a business benefit, but those things are seen more as a fringe versus 
you're driving a vision saying, okay, the business needs to reach so many millions of dollars of revenue, and that's why we're painting this vision. What has worked truly, or what does work? You know, it goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. Again, I think in healthcare, we do have a little bit of the luxury of it becomes very real. When, you know, my son was born in the hospital that I worked, what we do from an IT perspective and, you know, the, the IT systems and the monitoring devices that we actually helped, you know, pick, design, implement, it, it, it's obviously extremely real, right? And again, you know, most of the folks that work in a hospital system have been, have been patients or their loved ones have been patients. So they've seen that direct altruistic impact of the things that we do. So it's not hard to paint the picture of by implementing X, by creating strategy Y, put yourself in that patient's shoes and you can see how this is very meaningful to them. I think it is important though to also discuss all the other things, all the other benefits to, to the vision, to the implementations as well, including, you know, whether it's cost savings or increased revenue or, um, you know, quality metrics or, or some other efficiency kinds of things. So it's not always about here's what it means to the patient and, you know, and you, you kind of pull at the, the heartstrings. I think it is about just being very transparent with here are the goals of the project. And sometimes it's going to be about money. Sometimes it's going to be about efficiency and productivity. Sometimes it's going to be about quality safety. Sometimes it's going to be about, you know, down and dirty physician, nurse, or patient engagement and satisfaction. And, and many times it's all of the above, right, which is actually even more powerful when you can paint that complete picture of we're delivering benefit in many different aspects here. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's take a look at the critical mass or a threshold of people who would once accept uh, a given vision after all throwing darts at them, validating, uh, rationalizing it, is when we will say, okay, let's go ahead. So, so yes, we did talk about the analysis paralysis, but perhaps that was in the, in the execution of it. But at what point we say we are done with our due diligence and let's move ahead. Let's, let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All. 
To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So we have spoken about, you know, we doing the due diligence on the vision and perhaps have everybody give their thoughts, etc., Till what time we should continue to do it? Or is there a line that we could draw to say, okay, now enough. We have, uh, we have tinkered with enough. Let's, let's move ahead into the execution phase. Yeah, I think, you know, I always use the analogy of the bus, right? We talked about that earlier too. So you're a bus at the bus stop and, you know, the bus is, is going out on this journey towards this, this, uh, this destination. Some people see the destination clearly. Some people don't. At some point, the bus has to leave the bus stop. So part of the early up work that you're doing is figuring out who's on the bus, what seat on the bus they, they are going to take, and so on. And I think you know, there's no right or wrong answer in terms of that critical mass. You're not trying to count people that are actively engaged, people that aren't, and seeing when you know, the, the former exceeds the, the latter. Really what you're trying to do, though, is you have enough folks that are engaged, you have those opinion leaders, you have your governance structure set up, you have your escalation processes set up, and at that, at that point, frankly, you have to say, okay, we know we're gonna hit some, some rough spots on this, on this bus trip, but the, the bus is leaving the station. So I, again, I do think it is around figuring out who those influential folks are. And remember, there's a bunch of, of analysts out there that are, that are awesome, but they're also very influential with their peers. They're the folks that actually somebody maybe maybe newer, junior, and someone will come to and say, what do you think of? So when you have those folks on the bus and they're able to articulate the vision and able to articulate what this all means, and you know that they're there to actually have those sidebar conversations with those folks that may be struggling with the vision, I, I think it's time for the bus to leave. If I were to define the vision as such, like as a, as a piece of creation, would that just be like a cool tagline or, or, or a statement, or would you actually put in the execution details for people to understand in what context and, and how this is going to be done for them to embrace it? How much information do you need to provide along with the vision, if you will? Yeah, uh, you know, ultimately it comes down to the individuals. So as, as you all know, um, there's certain individuals that need a lot of detail. They actually need to see steps one through ten nicely laid out before they'll understand the vision and how it can be successful. Other people will need steps one through five. Some people actually need steps one. So, you, again, you, you try to tailor your message, your communication, your interaction based upon those different kinds of folks. And, and the people that need steps one through ten laid out aren't, aren't bad at all. They're just very detailed, logical folks that really do need more of that recipe than just you know, what, what the, the picture of the, of the final outcome look like. So I think it's painting a picture. I think it's actually using visuals. It's trying to paint, paint for folks what this really looks like. Sometimes they'll, they won't get it in words. They'll get it in pictures. So try to paint that picture. But then, again, tailor your message, tailor the communication, tailor your, your interactions to what level of detail those folks need. And, frankly, sometimes you don't have the answer. So the worst thing you could do is just start making stuff up. So if there's people that really need some, um, some specific details and you don't have that yet, you know, what I've done, 
right or wrong? I said, I don't know, and I need your help to figure that out. And so you're turning something that is maybe unknown at that point in time into, I need you to help me figure that out. And so you're engaging them in, in that execution. So when you mentioned that these people would need a lot of knowledge, so you're not going to go and, and, and jump around from one type of constituent to another to get that buy-in 100% from all types of people. And, and vision doesn't remain just a vision when you start going way too much into the execution because that in a way could um, you know, alter what you would have started in the first place because you see that there is a challenge because sometimes you have to be foolish in a way as a leader to say, I'm going to make this happen and we'll get through the, the roadblocks once we come to it. But we start inventorying the roadblocks, then we'll say, okay, maybe we have to change the vision, which is not a, the greatest way to handle it, right? Right. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think as you encounter barriers and changes in direction, you know, and what I found is that often those are just maybe detours from the strategy, the strategy remains the same. Just exactly how you get there is is what's changing. And and you know any if if this was easy, everybody would do it. Every project would be delivered under budget on time and so on. That just doesn't happen in reality. So we always have unknown barriers, things that we experience along the way. But again, if you have good structure, good governance, if you're as a leader engaged in the project and seeing where things are drifting off, you can actually help them. Maybe there's still a, a detour they have to take, but the detour is very short. You can get them back on, on, on path. And frankly, if there's enough detours, the strategy has to change, then, you know, don't just keep going down bad paths. You, you, you get the right people together and say, hey, I'm seeing consistent barriers along the way here, and we're going to have to adjust our strategy because the, the assumptions and the information that went into our strategy a year ago, two years ago, five years ago is not playing out like we thought. Shame on us for just continuing to go blindly down that path. Let's get back together. Let's, let's expose why things have changed and, and make sure that we are, you know, tweak the strategy to take that new information into account. Is there any risk of a vision being unreal? Because it, it, by design, can be a little stretch. But do you think there is a way where th there could be places or instances where leaders are in, in that mode, the utopic mode, and put uh, a vision out there and accordingly get everybody to go in that direction and take the organization under? Yeah, you know what's interesting? I actually think strategy and vision that is unreal is not a bad thing. And let me let me tell you why I'm saying that. There's there's a lot of work that we're doing right now in healthcare IT around mobility, about visualization, about turning your you know your mobile phone into your full computer, those kinds of things, right? So you know, typical hospitals are set up with many PCs or or thin client technology and they're, they're everywhere and so on. But all the caregivers are also carrying around smartphones. So, you know, the future world in, in a very mobile industry is really you're carrying your computer around. Now we have to figure out how to actually do the visualization and interaction with, with you know, large screen monitors, TV-like devices and so on. So, you know, part of what I'm having the conversation with the, the organization about right now is 
how do we actually paint that picture of there'll be a future day, whether it's 3D technology or, or um, you know, better technology allows your, your smartphone to interact with a large screen device through Bluetooth, through, you know, Chromecast or Apple TV-like connection. And we don't need all these computers and thin clients everywhere. That reality actually doesn't totally exist today, but you can still paint the picture of it and so people can say that's completely unreal today, but there's enough out there in terms of the technology. They can see what they're doing at home with their, you know, their Apple TVs and Chromecast to see, you know what, that, that, that may come about in three years, five years, whatever it is. So it's not a bad thing to be laying out that strategy, even though you're known as unreal, because you know that it will be real in five years. So you start to create some of your decision-making processes now around that potential strategy in the future. Now, you'll, you never want some of your near-term work, your near-term strategy to be completely unreal. Obviously, you need to, you need to ground your dreams in reality. So on, on the things that you're going to execute over the next 18 to 24 months. But there's also a good thing about having that, maybe that unreal dream out there so people can start to see, uh, you know what, that, that may be reality. When you look at a leader trying to paint a vision, can they realistically play safe? Because if they try to say, okay, let me see if somebody agrees or everyone agrees or there's a complete consensus, only then it is a vision that is worth moving forward. If they don't, then it could very well be possible that some people who are stakeholders, maybe part of your management may, may not totally agree, but you still move forward. You could be seen as a maverick. You could get fired or... In other cases, maybe you will prove them wrong, but in due course. But, so what kind of courage? How courageous does a leader need to be or how crazy maverick a leader need to be to eventually come up with a vision which may not be developing a consensus but still is the right one? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there's a black or white answer to that. It's a great question. I, you know, I, I do think there's obviously always going to be some risk and reward there will always be some reward to be early adopters of technology, of, of a vision, because you're going to get things maybe when they're a little bit cheaper or when a, a supplier of a solution is going to partner with you more. And so there's always a little bit of a risk-reward. Uh, you know, often that risk and reward is measured by dollars, the dollars that you're investing, but it also needs to be in terms of the number of people that you're investing in a process and so on. So, I, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but there's also, in, in my opinion, a need to be somewhat innovative and do some things new that may actually not work out because you're going to learn. You're, even if you fail, quote-unquote fail, you're still going to learn. And as long as you learn and take that learning in the future decisions, it's not a complete failure. So, I mean, I think you've got to be willing to be able to fail, but fail within constraints that doesn't, you know, harm the next decision or the next project because, you know, you could, um, you know, take so much risk that the next one's not going to be available to you. Would you say that a technology leader, like which is the role that you play, is allowed the immunity to be an investor and paint the visions, which would be putting a few projects out or make some changes in the organization where not every change, every initiative will bear fruits and give a positive ROI, but they might turn out to be net positive. They took the risk. So do you think uh, an organization where a CIO is supposed to be going and painting a vision, do they need to first 
request immunity that I'm going to do some, I have some play money or I will request some play money, give me some chances to take risk and fail a little. Yeah, you know, um, I I don't think of it as asking for immunity. I I, I think some again, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, to strict dollars and cents. If you're asking for five million dollars to do this fairly risky project, that's a lot different than asking for fifty thousand dollars to do this project. So often, where we think the risk is great, or we just don't quite know if it's going to work or not. We do pilots. Now, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of pilots, but there's certain cases where you just don't know how this new technology is going to work. So what you want to do is take a, a, you know, an ambulatory clinic or take an inpatient unit or take the emergency department or something and say, we're going to do this here. So the investment, the time, the energy, the number of resources devoted to it is relatively small, and you have defined goals of how we're going to prove out the success of this. And then you just do it. And again, if you fail, you're not necessarily failing because you're learning and you're preventing, um, you know, future future problems as you potentially roll it out, roll that technology out to to a greater audience. So, you, we try to manage from a IT perspective. Often we do these pilots to just manage the risk, see what's going to work, see what's not going to work, and then also you have a pilot unit that actually is successful with it. So then the next one, the next one, as you roll it out, you have that success story and you have then clinicians, physicians, nurses, whoever saying, this works. It worked for me. You can get through the change and so on as well. Are there any uh, traps or pitfalls that you feel somebody should be cautious of when they go through this exercise? First is painting a vision and then taking people along or inspiring it, inspiring the others. I think there's pitfalls almost at every turn. Uh, if, if you don't appropriately scope the work, if you don't, you know, again, if you don't ground the strategy into reality, you don't scope the work appropriately, you don't manage the resources, you don't manage the individual initiatives within the, the strategic direction, if, if you don't involve the right people, if, if people don't feel included in the decisions, if they feel that this is happening to them, if you don't set up the support structures appropriately so that when you go live, you actually have the appropriate folks to look at it. And frankly, if you don't go back and look at optimizing as well. So you go live, and if you just kind of wash your hands of it and then move on to the next thing, that's a huge pitfall. You really need to say, okay, we went live, and let's go back and let's, let's optimize it. Let's make it better, make it work better. And, and again, pitfalls, every stage of the way. But again, if you don't have that good governance management structure and the leader is not involved in those, those pitfalls become harder to overcome. When you look at your own uh, journey, would you have done anything differently as you may have, I'm sure, painted visions and must have done things? Um, yeah. I, I always tell my teams I, I make many mistakes a day. The, the key is to learn from those mistakes and don't make the same ones. What, what's interesting to me is you know, my, my journey in healthcare IT started, oh, geez, a long time ago, 20-some um, years ago. And in my, my, um, my first, I think it's my first 12 years of my healthcare IT career, I actually did 12 different jobs. I, I would literally work in a role for about a year and, and you know, hopefully help fix things, get, 
get things to a good place, and I moved on to the next challenge. And you know, I literally worked anywhere from interfaces to to you know database administration to the help desk to some of the R and D roles to programming. I, I kind of did it all. And, and part of the strategy there was so that I would be exposed to all the different components of the IT organization, healthcare IT in general, and so on. So if and when I became a leader, I would really understand all the different things that are the different roles in the organization do so that as you're painting that strategy, you're painting that vision as a leader now, you actually can make – you can connect the dots to the individual roles across the organization and the things that they're going to, to encounter, worry about, and so on. So, you know, I go back to that day when I was working on interfaces, and now we have a strategy. I can actually, in my own mind, see how that strategy connects to the interface engineers and what they're going to have to work through. And when I sit down with them then and talk through this, it, it becomes real for them. They, they see that I have that background. They see that it's not just about strategy. It's actually turning that strategy into reality. And it's extremely powerful for, for folks then to see a leader who actually has done it rather than somebody who's just kind of been a leader and, and not really had that experience. So that journey all along that way, I wouldn't do a thing differently. And it's, I think it's positioned me for success. With that said, I make mistakes every day, every week. And again, the key is to understand those mistakes, acknowledge those mistakes, and then learn from them. Don't repeat them. Mistakes are good. Repeating mistakes is not good. For an idea or a vision to take hold, we know that you'll communicate, you'll have multiple discussions. But in order for something to get adopted, become a movement, how would you go about, because there are some ideas people share in such cases, some best practices saying that, okay, find a few people who are really uh, excited about it, let them play with it, and let them evangelize it. So th- is, this, is this adoption, because you, of course, created a great vision, awesome job, but then now to get it adopted, would you say that also has to be a planned activity or you would just kind of hand it over to uh, handle it like any other project because here people may still reject it after accepting the vision, but execution could be rejected. Yeah. Uh, Adoption does not happen by accident. You're exactly right. And so, you know, some of the things that we've done here is that it's one thing to have, you know, implement a great project and implement a great product, but still doesn't mean necessarily everybody's going to embrace it and adopt it because at the end of the day, to, to the physician, to the nurse, to whomever, it's a change. What they're doing yesterday, they were good at. What they're doing today, because of the change you made, they're not so good at. So that change, whether it lasts an hour, a day, a month, or, or never actually gets overcome, that's the change you have to work through. So what we've done from a healthcare IT perspective is we actually have brought physicians and nurses into our IT team and so those folks are the folks that are actually out there. They're having that physician-to-physician conversation about shortcuts, tips and tricks, getting them through the, the chain. Sometimes they're a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they're you know, giving tough love to their peer. But instead of an IT person or a CIO saying to a, a surgeon, you need to use this system, it's a surgeon on the IT team talking to a surgeon about getting through that change. So that's been a strategy we call it our informatics team. That's been a strategy of ours, and I think it's worked extremely, um, extremely well of having peers talk to peers and get them through the change process. But also just, frankly, 
knowing that there's a change. And some people will go through that change very quickly. Some people will take a long time. Some people may never get through that change, okay? Similar to the bus conversation. At some point, the bus has to leave the bus stop. But if you, you know people are going to go through that change differently at different speeds, so uh, uh, you know, adapt your practices. Adapt your, your, um, your at-the-elbow support to those folks. Do you think there could be any moral or ethical dilemmas or traps related to painting and then executing a vision? Because, of course, the leader has a carte blanche and a lot of things will happen. Yeah. But then there could be things which could be counterproductive or uh, not in the best interest of the organization, but everyone actually relied on the leader. Yeah. So what could those be and how, how to prevent that trap or for, first is to see how can you prevent that trap for yourself, number one. Yeah. If And second is how to make sure if a leader or anyone who is trying to create those issues, how do you catch those? I do think there, there can be. And, you know, there's many, many cases of leaders who have fallen victim to those traps and, 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 and you know, with a very disastrous outcome. So. Here's how I do it. And again, there, there's many ways to do it, but this is my approach. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, I always look at every decision I make, every, every strategic you know, picture I paint. There's always three priorities, and they're in order. What is the right thing for the organization I work for? Secondly, what is the right thing for the team that I'm responsible for? Third, what is the right thing for me? I make every decision I paint every picture based upon those three priorities in that order. What that means is often I'm going to make a decision that's not actually advantageous for the employee or the team, but it's the right thing for the organization. But at the end of the day, every decision I make, people can see the consistency that I'm not making the decisions because it's the right thing for me. So it's the organization, it's the team that I'm responsible for, then it's me. And I try to be extremely consistent with that, whether it's a really small decision or this big, hairy goal, strategic plan that we're creating. If you use those priorities and you're consistent with that, people will see it and, and hopefully you start to avoid some of those moral ethical traps. One last 15 second uh, answer that you can provide us specifically with respect to a message that you would like to give to others who are trying to inspire and realize a shared vision? I think, you know, be engaged, play multiple roles. Um, you know, roll up your sleeves and, and get to know uh, all the different roles and people and, and influentials out there because as you become a leader, all that, all that experience, all those relationships that you build will come back into play. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Steve, on helping us understand and also sharing your journey in terms of how you developed and inspired a shared vision. Thank you. Thank you I really so appreciate much. the time, too. Definitely. And uh, thank you so much again, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel.
CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovation.